I'm Warren Berkeley with the Laurel Heights Church of Christ. This is a study in our continuing video classes in the book of Mark, chapter 7. Mark, chapter 7. There is a lot to consider in this chapter. Very often, Mark moves quickly from scene to scene, telling us what Jesus did. Here in chapter 7, from verse 1 over through verse 23, what Jesus said, what he taught in an exchange with the opposition, the scribes and the Pharisees. I'll do a read-through with brief comments, and after that, I'll take us to some lessons we can learn from Mark chapter 7. I need to begin with a lengthy reading, please. Mark 7, 1 through 23. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless... They wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes ask him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. I'm at verse 14 in Mark 7. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that is going into him that can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, 
his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. I think for the sake of clarity as we enter into this passage in Mark 7, there are three things I want to bring up that are not the same. Ordinary, common hygiene, such as many of us practice today, is not what this passage is about. Like you, I assume, when I was a little boy and came in the house for dinner, I knew I couldn't come to the table without washing my hands. And we've heard a lot about the value of personal hand sanitation in the last two years. Ordinary or common hygiene isn't what this passage is about. Second, there were Old Testament rules given to the Jews with reference to the difference between clean and unclean. As you read the Old Testament, you come to several passages about this mosaic distinction between things clean or unclean. This was a provision of Old Testament law for the Jews that God gave to keep that nation together and healthy and train them to see the difference between things and to be obedient to God's law, whether or not they understood the nature of it. Jesus never argued against anything that was a legitimate part of Old Testament law. Third, there is that tradition of the elders. That's what this is about. These scribes and Pharisees had developed a whole set of humanly conceived rules, claiming they were just applying God's law for the Jews. It was like they thought God's laws need some help. And so they assembled a whole set of rules and rituals about washings and Sabbath observance and everything else they thought they had authority to write about and legislate and enforce. And they were upset, as reported here in Mark 7, because Jesus' disciples were not following their rules. So I use this approach hoping for some clarity. Ordinary hygiene practices such as we are familiar with are not any part of this. God did give clean versus unclean distinctions for the Jews living under Old Testament law. This confrontation came from the scribes and Pharisees comparing 
their traditions to what Jesus' disciples were doing or not doing. Here's what happened. The scribes and Pharisees, claiming they were just applying God's laws or helping God's laws, made a whole new set of rules. In time, their laws became, the phrase is found here, the tradition of the elders. And those traditions in time were held in higher regard than the actual laws of God. So when they observed Jesus' disciples not complying with their man-made rules, that became one of their points of criticism against Jesus. Jesus' response was to expose their hypocrisy and their disobedience. They paid lip service to God and his word, but in their hearts and practice, they had greater devotion to their own religious laws. They became walking, living examples of what Isaiah wrote. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. I'll have more to say about that when I finish the read-through. Mark 7, 24 through 30. Mark 7, 24 through 30. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way, the demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. So Mark is back to this fast-paced account. Jesus moves away from Galilee northwest to the region of Tyre and Sidon. He entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but by now he couldn't be hidden. The word is spreading. The crowds are out looking for Jesus, and in addition, he's being pursued by the scribes and Pharisees. More than once, Jesus was approached by a parent with a suffering child. So here, like other occasions, a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. A very interesting exchange took place between Jesus and the Greek woman. Jesus really just had one point to make, and then he cast the demon out of the girl. Jesus said to her, 
let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Matthew's account helps us understand this. Matthew 15, 21 to 28. Jesus explained that he was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. If we just had Mark's account, what Jesus said would be more difficult. But when we add the information supplied over in Matthew, it becomes clear Jesus was using some common terminology referring to his ministry to the Jews, not to Gentiles. Jesus went to the Jews. The Gentiles come in later. Well, the woman was not insulted, nor was she deterred in her plea. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. According to Matthew's account, Jesus commended her faith. Mark reports what Jesus said to her, for this saying, go your way, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she came to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. So another miracle Jesus performed in defeating the devil, casting out this demon. Unusual only in regard to the race of this woman. 31 through 37. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis, ten cities. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. Those two things often, of course, go together. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephrathah, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Jesus makes the journey from Tyre and Sidon back into Galilee, into that region, specifically the region of Decapolis. You may remember Decapolis. This is where Jesus had cast demons out of a man in the cave sending those demons into a herd of swine. We studied that back in Mark chapter 5. This man was deaf and had a speech impediment. Jesus healed this man. Looking up to heaven would be evidence of the source of his power and his acknowledgement of the Father. Jesus commanded those present that they should tell no one but they did not give heed to him. Their reaction to the event, they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. The witnesses acknowledge the power Jesus had. And that brings us to the end of Mark chapter 7. Takeaways. 
some observations, some other comments I want to make about Mark chapter 7. So let's talk about the hypocrisy of the scribes and Pharisees. Beginning at verse 9 here in Mark 7, Jesus illustrates their hypocrisy in his exposure of how they used what they considered to be a loophole to try and get out of their duty toward their aged parents. Now, the law of Moses was very clear, telling the people of Israel they were obligated to God to honor their parents, including any care their parents might require in their age. You can start with Exodus 20, 27. After that, Leviticus 19, 32. There was clarity about this duty and what it meant to honor your father and mother, not just lip service, but whatever care you were able to provide. Well, some of the Jews in the time of Jesus, like these scribes and Pharisees, manufactured what they considered to be a loophole or a nice-sounding rationale to claim that they were not obligated to care for their parents. They would say something like this. I'm going to paraphrase. All of our discretionary income has been pledged to the Lord so we cannot use what we have to care for our parents. Now, to put it that way, it sounds awful, doesn't it? But that was happening, and we have it from Jesus. I want you to imagine saying to your needy or disabled aged parents, Mom and Dad, we do have an extra bedroom, but we have devoted that room to the Lord. And that's where we read the Bible, so we can't take care of you. See, this is what happens when gradually and subtly we put God's word back and we bring to the forefront our rationale, our excuses, our traditions, our manufactured loopholes and claims. It is essentially selfish and disobedient. We wind up making void the word of God, making the word of God of no effect through our traditions that serve us and not God. That and many other such things these men did, deserving the strong condemnation they received from the Lord. When the scribes and Pharisees developed their traditions, they claimed they were taking what the Old Testament said about clean and unclean, and they were just drawing that out into greater and better specification, as if God needed something better than what he gave. Their argument was that in writing all their rituals, they were simply applying what the Old Testament said about what is clean and what is unclean. Jesus says, hear me everyone, and understand. Now let's slow down here and listen to what he said. Hear me, everyone, and understand. And here's what he said in verse 15. Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. These are things 
that grow. They take on a life of themselves, the traditions of the elders, the corruption of Herod. Is Jesus is not saying anything about God's laws in the Old Testament that are legitimate. No, no. Jesus never said or did anything against God's law in the Old Testament. Jesus is explaining how corrupt and hypocritical the scribes and Pharisees became in developing over time their traditions. It wasn't the mere presence of some physical substance in the body that caused spiritual defilement. Let's work on that a minute. They had this so wrong, the scribes and Pharisees. It wasn't the mere presence of some physical substance in the body that caused spiritual defilement. It wasn't just the presence of pork in the stomach that spiritually defiled people. Disobedience to God's laws defiles. But it wasn't the presence of a certain kind of meat inside your body. What defiles people spiritually is that which comes out from the person. Whether it be disobedience to God's law with respect to clean and unclean or anything else. God gave certain laws to the Jews about clean and unclean meats. Laws that do not apply today, according to Acts chapter 10. Those distinctions God gave to the Jews in that previous dispensation, we do not apply today after the cross. But think about, think about how that worked for the Jews in the Mosaic era. Was it pork in their digestive system that spiritually defiled them? No. It was disobedience to God. You see what that was about? Well, the disciples didn't get it, so Jesus explained further. Verses 18 through 23. 18 through 23. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, not the stomach, out of the heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. God gave those distinctions to the Jews about clean and unclean, not because of any inherent sin in the physical meat. God was asking for obedience. God was teaching them to make distinctions. Sin doesn't adhere to food or any physical substance. In this sense, Jesus says all foods are pure. What defiles a person is disobedience, transgression, rebellion against God. That is what comes out, not what goes in. 
Now, when you look at verses 21 and 22, you've got examples. Evil thoughts do not come into your life through a piece of food. Evil thoughts do not come from what you eat. Evil thoughts are inner productions that we allow in our hearts, our minds. These scribes and Pharisees thought they had crafted brilliant applications of the Old Testament. Wash this and wash that. Baptize your utensils. Don't touch this or handle that. Going way beyond what God had said in his law, yet Jesus in Matthew 23 exposed these men for their evil thoughts, their lust and pride and corruption what came from their heart, not from their stomach. Adulteries and fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. Well, let me pause again and finally take you to some lessons we need to learn about all this. Takeaways, just a few. Horizontal comparisons have no value. We need vertical comparisons. Here's what I mean. Horizontal comparisons are, your disciples are not doing what our disciples are doing. That's horizontal. We need vertical comparisons, comparisons of our lives vertically with God and his word. Number two, let's decide and redecide. We will never individually or as a group decide that we can write a book of rules that will be better than what God has written. We can't do that. Shouldn't even try or think about it. Three, the Pharisees did not corner the market on hypocrisy. Hypocrisy has been around before and after the Pharisees. We must dismiss any idea or notion that we can be holier than God or that we can write better laws than God. We are not that good. The Pharisees were striving for a holiness that they thought was even higher than God's holiness. That is a lost cause. If we ever think we can create laws and boundaries in terms of fellowship which God must respect, that we're going to apply here and will make us holier, that's a symptom of ingrained rebellion. It is foolish of us to ever think we can do better than God or that God needs our help in writing law. I hope everything we've studied here in Mark chapter 7 will help you to be steadfast in your relationship with God. We are the Laurel Heights Church of Christ in McAllen, Texas. Thank you.